Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Thank you guys so much for covering us in prayer today and in the days to to come. Um, One more thing before we we get into the message here this morning. I just want to remind you or call your attention to the fact that this Wednesday begins Lent. And so we don't talk a lot about Lent at Grace Point, but I know something that my, my family has done over the years is we, we will each choose something to, to give up during the Lent season, and then we'll oftentimes do a devotional together on the YouVersion app. And so I would just commend that thought to you. You have a couple of days to think about that. For, for me, like fasting, giving something up, I, I like to think of fasting as creating space for God to fill. So whatever it is that I'm giving up, I'm setting that aside, and I'm asking God to come and fill that space in a a new way, in a fresh way, to show himself to me in a a fresh way that I haven't experienced him before. And it's really appropriate, I think, to to spend some time with experiencing just a tiny sliver of suffering. It's, It's almost embarrassing to even compare that to what Jesus suffered for us. But that's kind of the idea, is to enter into some level of sacrifice to experience just a little bit firsthand of the sacrifice that he laid out for us um, because of his, his great love for us. So think about that starting on Wednesday. Many years ago uh, when we lived in Texas, I had a boss who whenever he had a, a rough day or he was I- interacting with maybe a, a client or even a coworker who was just difficult or maybe just being a little slow that day, he, he had this saying that he would break up. He would say, it's hard to soar with the eagles when you have to scratch with the chickens. And so, you know, maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe you feel like some days you're just scratching with the chickens. Yeah, some people are raising their hands. Yeah, so it's like, you know, coworkers, clients, customers, whatever. I mean, just tough, tough days. And it feels like people can sometimes drag you down. And we say, well, how, how am I supposed to soar when I'm surrounded by all of these chickens? And so the, the answer begins, the answer to that question begins that, if we're going to soar, we have to adopt an eagle's perspective on, on life. So we have to kind of envision, like, what does it look like to get above this dirt and get above, you know, the, the people that might be dragging us down? How do we adopt a different viewpoint? And so before you start thinking, oh, we're lapsing into a motivational speech here, I just I want to tie this really, really quickly to, to Scripture because actually the whole purpose of Scripture— is to help us see the world around us differently than the world around us sees it. We, the, the, the whole purpose of Scripture is to give us God's perspective, and God's perspective on life and people and how things work is very, very, very different than the chickens that scratch around us. So let me, let me just give you two examples. One would be First um, John 419. So if you were with us last month and we were looking at God's love, 1 John 419 says, We love 
because he first loved us. And there's, there's some chicken perspective around in our world that we have to try to earn God's love, that we got to get our act together, and then we try to work our way up to God, and then he will love us. And he says, no, it's not that way at all. It all begins with God. I mean, God is so gracious. So God is love, and so he loves us, and then we love in, in return. Similarly to that, we could look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, very familiar to, to many of us. It is by grace we have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I mean, the, the chicken perspective in our world is we, we have to work our way up to God. We have to work our way into his favor. We have to try to somehow counter whatever bad we might have done, whatever mistakes we might have made. We need to try to counter that and, and hopefully overcome it by the good things that we do, and then God will, will be okay with us. That, that's a chicken perspective. That's completely different from God's Grace. God says there is no amount of good you can do to overcome the mistakes that you have made. So give up trying. Quit, quit trying. Quit wearing yourself out and place yourself under his grace. It is a gift to you by faith, trusting. And so, so scripture is, is full of corrections to our chicken perspective in the world. And we're going to look at two more today. One has to do with how do we receive respect from other people without that puffing us up and making us proud? And then secondly, what does generosity really look like from God's perspective? Jesus, Jesus is going to teach us how to avoid God's condemnation in these areas and how to receive his commendation. And it looks really different from what the chickens around us might think. So if you would take a Bible and turn with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter 20. We are continuing a series looking at the final week of Jesus. Again, just a really appropriate time to enter into Lent. It kind of goes right along with uh, thinking about Jesus' sacrifice coming up to, towards Good Friday and, and Easter. Last week in our series we saw the religious leaders trying to trap Jesus. I mean, the, the conflict is heating up between the religious leaders and, and Jesus. Last week, they're trying to set traps for him. They didn't know who they're dealing with. He's, he's too smart for them. They were trying to get him in trouble with the Romans so that the Romans would take him out. Turns out that's what's going to happen, and the Romans are going to take him out, but Jesus wants it to be clear it's going to be on his terms and no one else's. And so last week at the end, we saw Jesus turn the tables on his enemies and put them on the defensive, and that's going to continue into today. So starting in verse 45. In the hearing of all the people, Jesus said to his disciples, so just pause there for just a second, just so we can note that Jesus is talking to his disciples, his followers but he's saying it so that everyone around can hear. Jesus is not teaching in secret anymore. This is his final week. It's just all out there. So in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense 
make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Condemnation. That is a strong word. That is a shock value word that Jesus is using intentionally to kind of catch people's attention because their perspective, their chicken perspective on these scribes, they are religious leaders. They think if anybody's in with God, it's them. I mean, they, they know the scriptures backward and forward. How could God not think that they're awesome and, and great? It, it's interesting to me. Sometimes I'll, I'll sit in on a Bible study or, uh, or I'll have my kids come to me with a Bible question. And it's funny, like, people will sometimes just, like, turn to me. And it's like, well, Dave, what do you think? Like, you just answer the question. We know that you know. You know, so there's, like, this assumption that, like, I know everything and that I know where to find everything, which is totally false because I have such a hard time with addresses. I'm so thankful for my Bible on my phone so I can look up things and, oh, this is where this is found. So anyway, just sorry if that disappoints you, but that's, that's just the, the reality. But it's interesting how people might perceive me. These scribes, so these religious leaders, they had at least the first five books of the Bible memorized, memorized, like word for word. Like they couldn't even become a scribe if they didn't have that. In many cases, they had more than that memorized. Like they could just pull it up from, from their, their memory. And so people look at that, and there's such a respect for that, and there's such an awe of that, and they're thinking, man, if anybody is in with God, it must be them. But Jesus says they will receive a greater condemnation. I mean, that's crazy. Jeremy calls these things a great reversal, where you're expecting one thing, and then God completely turns it around. The human perspective is very different from God's. And so we need to adopt God's view of respect. How do people treat us? When people treat us with respect, how do we receive that? See, it's it's natural to value people respecting us. I mean, there's actually nothing wrong with that. I mean, some of us work really hard, and, and it's, it's, appro- it's appropriate to respect another person. It's just a, appropriate to respect anybody, even if they haven't achieved anything. Respect their humanity, that they are made in the image of God. Respect is not a bad thing in itself. But what Jesus is calling out in these leaders is that, is that they're absorbing and collecting respect instead of... Um, pointing that respect to God. They're just accumulating it all for themselves. They're stealing attention from God. Jesus says this elsewhere, actually in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to who? Your your father. Okay, you you guys, come on. I know it's cold outside. I mean, you got to help me out here. Let's try that again. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to who? Thank you. Your father who is in heaven. So people see your good works. Jesus wants this. He wants people to see and recognize your good works. He wants people to recognize that what you're doing is good, that it's good for others. It's making the world a better place. That's a good thing. But then the glory doesn't go to you. The glory goes to your father in heaven. And so 
instead of collecting, see what these religious leaders were doing is they were collecting what they should be redirecting. I mean, we could kind of think of this a little bit like, you know, if you're, if you're giving me a compliment, and I'm going to try not to blind anybody with this. I'm not, if you're giving me a compliment or you're honoring me, respecting me in some way, I'm not going to deflect that, okay? I'm not going to be like, oh no, you know, it was nothing. So that's kind of often a, a false humility. But I don't want to collect it for myself and have it puff me up either. I want to redirect it. I want to take what you're aiming at me, and I want to redirect it and say, this is this really the glory belongs to God. The credit belongs to God. This becomes easier when we remind ourselves that every quality you have, every ability that you have that might garner respect for yourself was a gift to you. It was not something that, that you just earned on your own. So your IQ was a gift to you. You know, you, you didn't choose your IQ. Some of us, if we choose, chose our IQ, we should have aimed a little higher. You know, so you didn't choose your IQ. You didn't choose the family that you would be born into that very likely opened up opportunities for you that some other families did not have. And so you probably, you got some level of education. I, I know this is true because you're here in this room. Uh, you got some level of education. If you're reading words in front of you that some people in another part of the world uh, were born into a family, they didn't have that opportunity to, to learn. You didn't choose that. You were completely passively landed in a family that God chose for you. So you'd be thankful for the opportunities that you had. You don't be proud about that. You didn't align your DNA to look a certain way. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, our world respects people just because of the way they look. That's really kind of a really shallow thing to respect people for, but it's true. You didn't align your, your DNA to look the way you do if that brings you respect. You give thanks for that. And we say, how can I leverage what God has given me not for my own sake, not to draw attention to myself, not to get good things for myself, but how can I leverage that so that God can get glory, so that God can look good? This is the opposite of what these scribes are, are doing. And so Jesus points out several ways that they are attracting attention to themselves. Verse 46, it starts with their, their long robes. And so they're swooshing around in these robes, which was a symbol of their status. I mean, robes are cool. You know, if you're a Star Wars fan, Jedi walking around swooshing in their robes, I mean, that, that's really cool. But they're, they're trying to attract attention for, for themselves. And then when people see them in their long robes, then they're responding to them with a, with a, with a greeting. It says that they love the greetings in the marketplaces. This was a... a thing in the ancient Near East that people would have these formal salutations that were reserved for people of respect, people of status. And it is appropriate to respect, to show respect. It's appropriate to show respect for another person, for someone who is older than you are, who's more experienced. That's appropriate. The problem here is, Jesus says, they love those greetings in the marketplaces. They're just eating it up. They're, they're lapping it up. Bring, bring it on. They're collecting it for themselves, and it's puffing them up. And so, you know, I, I have to confess something for myself. So sometimes people will address me as Pastor Dave, and 
Um, I historically have often kind of deflected that, shut that down. Like, I don't call you accountant Bob, so you don't need to call me <laughs> teacher Julie, you know. I don't, we, we don't do that, so you don't have to call me Pastor Dave. But it's interesting because, and don't call me Pastor Wolf, whatever you do, I will shut that down because that makes me feel really old. But um, I, I'll just usually say, just call me Dave, you know. I'm just, we're, we're on the same plane here. Um, but it's interesting because for some reason, uh, over the last month or so, like I started receiving that, like I started, and I understand that it's meant respectfully, and I, I appreciate that, because not every circle I go into is being a pastor respected anymore, so it's kind of nice to receive that, and, and lately, like I found myself, like sometimes I would introduce myself that way, and sometimes I would sign an email that way, and I'm not exactly sure what that's all about, but then I studied this passage, and I was like, hmm, you know, I, I realized like I'm kind of drawing that to, to myself, and so I'm just going to, I'm going to going to cut that out. I'm not going to introduce myself. If you want to call me that, that's on you, whatever, you know, leave that between you and God. But I don't need to foster that because it can kind of feel like I'm trying to elevate myself. And I, I don't want any part of that because Jesus says that leads to condemnation. Um, and and they, they don't stop at the greetings. It says they go for the best seats in the synagogues, the places of honor at the feast. Jesus is just warning against this desire to elevate ourselves, make ourselves look better than others. Jesus told a parable about this earlier in the book of Luke. We'll put this up on the screen. Jesus told a parable to those who were invited to this meal that he went to when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And then the, the point of the parable, there's always a punchline at the end, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the problem with elevating ourselves is that when, when we elevate ourselves, we block others' view of God. We don't, we don't get in the way of other people being able to see how great God is. There's really only one who is worthy of being elevated and exalted and worshiped. And so you and I, we're, we're all on the same plane. We're all basically the chicken scratching around here, and we need to just stay there and not elevate ourselves and not block the view of someone else from God. These scribes are elevating themselves, and they're taking advantage of the vulnerable. We see that in verse 47. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense, they make these long prayers. They devour widows' houses. What is that referring to? There's debate over exactly what this is referring to. It could refer to the fact that scribes often acted as arbiters. They were called on to arbitrate financial situations. And so they may have been making decisions with favoritism towards the rich, and taking advantage of poor widows. Widows were the most vulnerable people. Widows and orphans, the most vulnerable people in Jesus' day. There, no social security like we have today. Um, no possibility of getting a job. 
um, very little possibility that they're going to get remarried. And so these widows were very vulnerable. So, so one thing might be the arbitration thing. The other thing might be that as religious leaders, they're, just, they're receiving donations. These widows are making donations, and they may be misusing it for their own benefit, which is kind of what we see in the next scene as we move into chapter 21. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contribute out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So here again, another great reversal. I mean, what, what this widow put in was virtually worthless. Um, the, the translation in verse 2 says two small copper coins. If you look at your footnote, it says that's the Greek lepta. They're, they're two lepta. So last week, if you were here, we talked about a denarius. A denarius was worth one day's wage for a, a worker. A lepta, on the other hand, is worth about six minutes of a day's work. It's worth almost nothing. A lepta is the kind of coin that if you're walking through the parking lot, you're not even going to bother to pick up because it's just worthless. And yet, Jesus says she put in more than everyone else. That sounds like a riddle. I mean, how, how does that work? How can someone give less than everyone else and still give more? Well, the answer is that generosity is not measured by the size of the gift, but the size of the sacrifice. Generosity is not measured by the size of what you actually, what leaves your hand, but what you are left with. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, when it comes to giving, God sees more than the portion. He sees the proportion. And so, Jesus challenges us to adopt God's view of generosity. We, we looked at respect already. Now we adopt God's view of generosity. See, for most people in the temple that day who, who were giving, two lepta was like negligible. Like they wouldn't even thought about it, didn't even make a blip on their, you know, balance sheets. But for this poor widow, what Jesus says at the end of verse 47 Oh, I'm sorry, we're, we're now in 21, at verse, end of verse 4. For they all contributed out of their abundance. She, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The, the Greek, the, the actual translation of the, the phrase there is all the life she had to put in. It uses the word bios. Okay, we get biology, obviously, from that. She put in all the bios she had to put in. It was her life. That's all she had. I mean, we carry this idea. They're equating life with, with money. We carry this idea into English when we talk about the fact that we make a living. How do you make a living? What is your livelihood? Do you, you lost, someone lost their livelihood. We, we kind of equate this idea, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying she, she basically has given up her life. See, the dollar amount may not register significantly with the accountants of the world. But from God's perspective, what she gave was, was a massive sacrifice. It was a huge, it was a huge offering. And Jesus is watching this. 
and he's commending her. He's standing by the offering place, and he's watching what she put in. And so I, we actually talked about this passage. I, I used this example uh, a year ago. We actually talked about this about a year ago when we were in the Red Letter Challenge, for those of you who were here. And I said that what's happening here in this scene would be like if at the end of our service today, you came prepared to give. And let's just imagine for a minute there's no online giving. So the only way for you to give is to put it in the one offering box that we have. Let's say we have one offering box on the wall as you're leaving. And let's say that as everybody is getting ready to go out of the room, I rush back and I stand by the box so I can watch what everybody's putting in there. And in fact, as you're coming to give your gift and everybody's in a long line giving your gift, I'm like, hey, can I just put that in there for you? And you hand it to me and then it's in an envelope. So I open up the envelope and I look at what's in there and I look at your check or your cash or whatever and I look at it and I look at you and I look at it. and I, look at I mean, that, that's what's going on here. That's the awkwardness of this moment that Jesus is watching. But here's the reality and I'm not going to do that, by the way. But uh, here's the reality is that Jesus knows what you're giving. Jesus knows what it is that you're giving. And he knows whether it's a leftover that you're giving out of your abundance that you really don't miss that much. Or are you giving an amount that actually more represents like your life? Like this is you given of your life. And I, I'm not talking here, I'm not saying like, okay, don't pay your bills. Okay, please keep paying your bills and all of that. I mean, I know we all have expenses and stuff, but what, what, does, your, what does your generosity, is your generosity actually generous or are you giving leftovers? Because Jesus says there's no, common, condemn, there's no commendation for giving leftovers. The commendation is for those who are, are gutsy, they give out of gutsy generosity. So let, let's just talk for a minute about, about giving, okay? I'm just, I'm already meddling, so let's keep going. So um, I know that some people, so this is just between you and Jesus. And by the way, um, not only do I not stand by the box in the back, I don't see giving records. I don't see any of those numbers. Don't want to know that that's between you and the Lord. But that gives me the freedom to, to talk to you today because I don't know what's going on between you and the Lord. You do. And so what, what does your giving, your generosity look like? I want to just clarify something as we talk about this. I know many of us grow up or grew up in church or we hear the, the idea of giving 10% as that is what God is calling for. He's calling for a tithe. I just want to clarify for you, that was part of the Hebrew law. That was part of the law for the nation of Israel, the ancient nation of Israel. We do not live under that law. That was a law for a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. And so we don't live under that law anymore. That percentage is not repeated in the New Testament. So it's a good guideline. It's a good way to, to start kind of evaluating. But for some people, you could give 10% and really not miss it very much. And, and so the mentality of saying, um, I'm going to give my 10% and then the rest of it is mine to do with as I want, that's totally, that is chicken thinking. Actually, chicken thinking is it's all mine and I'm going to do with it what I, I want. But sometimes churchy Christ, uh, chicken thinking, churchy chickens, hmm, I just came up with that. So churchy chickens think like, well, if I give my 10%, then the rest of it is for me. And that's just, that's not scripture. So, so New Testament does not give us a percentage, 
But here's what it does give. Paul, Paul says this, and this is worth thinking about. 1 Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age, and, and before we read on, I'll just remind us that that would include us in this room. And, and you've probably heard these statistics before, but if you compare the standard of living through, throughout the world, I mean, we, we rank up you know, very high in that. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. He's talking about eternity. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See, God knows that there's there's a deception in this world that our life is made up of what we we have, our possessions, our our money, that that's what life is made up. That's why it's so easy to kind of convolute those ideas of bios and money. But Paul says we, we should have a loose grip on our possessions and give away so that We can take hold of that which is true life. Sometimes we're holding on to so tightly to that which is not life that we don't have our hands open to receive that which is truly life. So so we do good. The way we should view our finances is to do good with them, to be rich in good works, which goes back to Jesus saying, you know, the the world will see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Let's do good things with our money. Be generous and ready to share. And when we do that, God is so gracious. When we do that, we're storing up treasure for eternity. We're storing up treasure for the future. Randy Alcorn says, you can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. And so we're, we're making investments in eternity when we give up money in the present. See, we can't outgive God. <laughs> he is so generous. He's always looking to give back to us. So we can't be more generous than he is. So that's adopting God's view of generosity. You and I scratch with chickens every day. How do we soar? How how do we soar in God's estimation? Well, we start with adopting God's view of respect and generosity. So let's just get practical. Let's think about the week to come, what can you do with respect? So when respect comes your way, what can you do instead of collecting that and letting it puff you up and elevate you, what can you do to redirect that respect that comes to you? Maybe it's just something that happens in your mind. Maybe it's just something that it's a conversation you're having with yourself and you're, you're countering. Maybe, maybe when somebody gives that compliment to you or that respectful comment, you're, you're, you just say, God, thank you. Thank you for this position I'm in. Thank you for this ability that you have given me. If somebody's admiring something that, that you did. Maybe you're just doing that in your mind or maybe you're verbalizing it. Maybe you're verbally giving glory to God. God, Well, you know, thanks for saying that, but you just got to know, man, this is a gift that God gave me, and I'm just thankful to be able to use it. What what are ways that you can redirect 
That. And, and think about that in, in the categories that Jesus talked about, what we wear. How can, you, how can you reflect in what you wear? Not a desire to gather attention to yourself, but to redirect attention to God. What, what about the places of honor? How, how can you find a place of humility when, when you're being seated in, in a room? or the titles that people use for you. So that's, that's respect. How can you handle that in a way that would receive God's commendation instead of condemnation? And then generosity. How's your generosity doing? That's a question between you and, and the Lord. Are you, are you giving him your leftovers? Or are you giving in a way that reflects your life, like you're giving your life? Because he's, he's worthy of that. So we have some opportunities coming up that you could give here. It doesn't have to be at Grace Point, but I know next month we'll be talking with you about an Easter offering. We always do a special Easter offering. Maybe you want to give above and beyond towards that. We'll be sharing with you what that is next month. Or, I mean, you don't even have to wait for that. I mean, right now there's humanitarian crisis in our world. There's more than one. So maybe you give to help others. That's what Paul was saying. Be, be quick to, to share and to be generous, to be rich in good works. Maybe there's a way that you give sacrificially to help some people in the world who didn't choose the mess that they find themselves in and they're desperate for help. Maybe we are able to be some of those that are able to help. Let's, let's not settle for the commendation of the world, what the world admires, Let, let's be going after what the way God thinks and what receives his commendation. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for the gifts that you have given each one of us, abilities, um, IQ, opportunities, education. We thank you for those things. Father, forgive us at times. Lord, I know that, that many of us work hard at these things, and there is a level of respect that is, is appropriate for that. But Lord, sometimes we take too much of that for ourselves. Sometimes we collect it for ourselves, and it puffs us up. And, it, and it, we try to elevate ourselves. And, and Jesus, we, we don't want to be under the condemnation of God because we're elevating ourselves. So, Lord, help us to humble ourselves that if, if we are to be exalted at all, it's not us doing it, but it might be you doing it. And, Lord, please, please, please keep us from exalting ourselves in such a way that we would block someone else's view of you. Lord, you are the beautiful one. You are the exalted one. You are the one who is worthy of worship. And we want our lives to redirect people's attention in such a way that they would look at you and say how awesome you are. And Lord, help us with our giving. Lord, money is, uh, Jesus, you talked about it so much. You know how, how much it can mess with our hearts. And so, Lord, we, we want to loosen our grip on stuff and things and money. That's not where life is to be found. We want to give that away so that we can take hold of the life that is truly life. Give us courage, Lord, even in this coming week, in this coming month, Lord, to do some, some new things with our money that reflect our faith and that really store up treasures in heaven. And that, again, point people to you. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.